I, I was thinking, yeah, we, we have we have like a bunch of drinking games we can do on this podcast <laughs> for just for Bridget stuff. Like I know. Uh, you know lizards. Dragon mentions. Uh context. Not contextual interview, yeah. I'm a broken record with regards to talking about context. To talking about context. Uh LeBron James mentions. Yeah. <laughs> Part of the obsession about the LeBron James thing for those of you. <laughs> You might know is that so Akron, St. Vincent Center, St. Mary, where LeBron went, is only about 45 minutes from my hometown. And we're both graduates of 2003. So I started following his career when he was like a freshman in high school. And um, he's given back a lot to the communities. It, mm. it's, it's not as weird as maybe it sounds. LeBron James mentioned. Don't be oh, afraid. Lord. Take Don't, a drink, people. Yeah. Take a drink. Don't uh, be afraid yeah. of failure. <laughs> yeah. What did LeBron say? Don't be afraid of failure. This is the way to succeed. Because he flops. Right. So, as LeBron said, don't be afraid of failure. It's the way to succeed. Mm Hello, welcome to the Integrated Care Podcast from the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association. I'm Dr. Grace Pratt, the podcast editor. I'm joined by several of my co-hosts this morning. I am very excited about our topic today. We are going to be discussing possibly slightly controversially, but hopefully mostly encouraging why integrated care fails. To that vein, I have asked our podcast co-host as our icebreaker question to share with us a time, could be big or small, could be silly or serious, could be professional or personal, but a time that you have tried something and failed. Looking around our circle here, it looks like first on my screen is Monica Harrelson. Dang, I would have to go first with failures. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Monica Williams-Harrison, integrated care clinician, licensed clinical social worker. Man, so yeah, failure. There's been a lot of them from an administrative standpoint, as well as um, a clinician standpoint with with patients and with staff. Um, You know, one of the first things that came to mind, so I'll just go with that because it really has been a lot of them, you guys. One of the first things that came to mind um, is kind of when I first got started in the in the realm of integrated care, not really 100 percent understanding it, maybe had read one thing about it. So I had my ideas of what it was supposed to look like. So anything else that anyone else said. Um, in reference to what integrated care was, I came in hot and heavy with a, nope, that's not it. Nope, that's that's not it. Um, instead of having some flexibility around um, where individuals are, what the patient population needed, just no flexibility at all. Very, very, very rigid. Can y'all believe that about me, that I was super rigid? Um, yeah, I came in real hot and heavy and in it, it it took a toll and took me some time to, to rebuild some relationships from an administrative standpoint with other individuals in the clinic because of that. Yeah, I made it much harder, much harder for myself in, in not being willing to come to the table for open dialogue and conversation and um, just doing more research and having more conversation. Um, so, yeah. 
Thank you for sharing that. I think that gets straight to the meat. Uh, and we're going to talk so much about that. And a huge point of this is to normalize. I, unfortunately, he's not able to be with us um, this morning, but Deepu said in his, a text to our group this morning that he sees his failures as data points. And I think that's a big piece of this conversation is that we all have things that go wrong. And I definitely want to talk some more about those experiences that you've had. So thank you for helping us normalize failure in that way. Um, Bridget? Hi, I'm Bridget Beachy. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and BHC uh, working out in the state of Washington. And uh, I don't know if I'm in the right mindset to share all of my integrated care and professional failures. So I'll, I'll hold off on that till later <laughs> in the show. And we'll start with um, some sports that I felt at. So generally growing up, I was super into sports and really anything where you can throw something, catch something, I was good. And so I thought that would translate everywhere. It turns out it doesn't. Uh, anything element-based, like swimming, that's a rough one. Uh, I can't breathe in the water. I get it all in, took swim lessons, could never really take to it. Then as an adult, I tried snow sports, skiing and snowboarding. And I found that I was just too scared to, uh, that I was going to snap my ACL because I, I did that when I was 18. And uh, they say about skis that you could just, you know, tear, you could tear your ACL. So the whole time I'm like, I'm going to tear my ACL, which is the absolute, probably not a mindset that you want to have. And then with snowboarding, I fell and smashed my, like the back of my head. And I don't even know if I had a helmet because it was like on the bunny hill. And then I was like, man, I'm too old for this. <laughs> like, you know, when you're seven and you fall, you're all right. But when you're, uh, a lot older than that. Um, you don't come back from it the same way. So I think I've accepted that uh, sports that involve elements are not for me. I appreciate the knowledge of sports that lets you use that as a category. I mean, <laughs> that requires trying a lot of things to be able to identify that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, if it has a ball or like, we're good, like tennis, volleyball, <laughs> basketball, softball, football, that's, we're all good. Nathalie? Well, yeah, that, that, that reminds me that for a while, I've been trying to uh, figure out a way to get a, a pickup basketball game at a CFHA conference. So maybe, maybe we try to make that in Boise this year. Let's get a little pickup game going. Uh, yes. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Neftali Serrano, Neftali Serrano. Uh, I'm the CEO here at the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association. So happy to be here. Podcast time is my favorite time of the month. So failure. Uh, yeah, there, there's, there's lots to choose from. Uh, personal and professional, no doubt. Um, <laughs> one that that kind of sticks out to me is a, a professional one. I basically blew like, I think it was like twenty twenty five thousand dollars at one point on uh, an idea that I thought was really cool at the time. So now, in my defense, this was back, and this was probably like two thousand and I don't know two thousand and three or something like that. And uh, touchscreens were really uh, a new thing at that time. Uh, for those of you, you know, Gen Zers and other people listening. Um, and so we, the idea was to have a screening system at our uh, front desk at the clinic that we're at to screen people. And we, we put the Duke Health profile on there. And uh, the idea was, you know, you come in, you get registered, you tap, tap your answers on the screen, and then it gets printed out at the back. And the BHC has the, 
the thing on the screen on their paper and uh, we can identify people who have needs and all that kind of thing. You know, it was a great idea, I guess, in concept, but there were so many steps along the way that broke down, you know, like the, the, the person at the registration desk would forget to send people over to tap the thing. We had trouble with the printing in the back. We, we didn't have some routine for actually going how many times you go to the printer and pick it up and look at it. And, you know, what do you do when, when it does print out? Yeah. And so we got this grant for like 20, $25,000 and like, literally, I think, I bet you, if I went back to that clinic, it's in, it's on the West side of Chicago. I bet you that touchscreen thing is in the kiosk and everything is still there somewhere in a closet, you know, doing nothing but collecting dust. So um, you know, those kind of failures just kind of stink sometimes because it's like you work really hard to build those things up and make those happen. And, and then when it doesn't work, even though you think it's a great idea, it, it's like, oh man. Um, and at the same time, like along the lines of what Deepu said, it is another data point. Like it's informed every other innovation I've done from that point forward, as far as, and I'm much more cautious about like, if I, I shouldn't say cautious, I'm much more aware if, if I have a great idea, it doesn't mean that, that it's going to work in this particular setting. And I've got, to, I've got to make sure that I check in with other folks around me to make sure that everybody's bought into it. And I think that's probably the one big error I made in that situation is I, I didn't do enough incorporating other people into the idea to make it work. You can feel so much wisdom that's going to come out of this conversation. Um, I love that advice that's embedded in there, those lessons learned. I'm going to share a parenting fail of mine. Uh, when my triplets were like two and a half, probably three years old, they were still at home during the day with a, a child, like a nanny. Um, but I was like, okay, these guys are like ready to learn something. I'm going to find a curriculum. I'm going to like, it's a play-based curriculum. I'm going to prep everything. I'm going to make it all like easy to go, ready to use. And it was like, it start this curriculum that I had found, it starts with the colors. And so like the first week is the red week and then there's, it follows the rainbow and then there's like 50 something. So I was like, I'll just like get everything prepped and I'll leave it and I'll blah, blah, blah. Well, we made it through red. <laughs> and then I realized I cannot, there's no way I can't manage this and coordinate that and put all this into place. And while I'm working and while I'm home and while I'm just intensely sleep deprived. And so my attempt at being a working mother who also directed a homeschooling curriculum was a major failure. <laughs> and then they went to daycare and slash like mother's day out and, and outsourcing my children's education is definitely a smart decision for me. I may be some would probably say overeducated myself, but that does not necessarily mean that I am the person to direct their education. Um, so I, oh, and I guess I didn't, we we're also excited to tell our stories of failure. I didn't share who I am. Um, so I am calling today from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, where I'm the Behavioral Medicine Director at Great Plains Family Medicine Residency Program in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Um, we have a great show and I think we're just super ready to talk about it. I do want to pause this just for a second to give one news and note. Um, so we are continuing our search for someone to join our team, another co-host for our podcast. 
If you are interested in integrated care, if you love podcasts, if you just want to be a part of this amazing group of people, would love for you to send me an audio clip of yourself talking about just something that you're excited about in integrated care. It could be three to five-ish minutes, record it on your phone. You can email it to me. My email is grace.pratt, P-R-A-T-T, at integrisok.com, I-N-T-E-G-R-I-S-O-K.com. And we are looking forward to hearing from you guys and hope to have someone new added to our team soon. Okay. Having said that, um, let's shift back to our conversation. So I know that everyone here today, um, has a long history in integrated care and also some experience doing consulting. So we know not only about our own systems and efforts and failures, but also groups that we've come into and, you know, come alongside to help. Um, and, the thing that raised this topic for me is I was talking to my student and she was previously part of a pilot of doing integrated care in a dental clinic. It, she was talking about the fact that it was like a great idea and there was great buy-in from the staff and everyone was really excited to have her there, but there were some nuances specific to the dental clinic that she felt like it was pretty much set up for failure from the beginning. Um, for one thing, do you, have you noticed in most dental clinics how it's all very open concept? There's no walls. Um, and so they had to find like a back closet to put her in. So she couldn't go in the exam room. She said when, by the time she saw pe- the dentists are like dentists and hygienists, they don't have as much waiting time as we do in typical primary care setting. And so she was always getting the people after their treatment and then their mouths are all numb and they can't talk and they're drooling everywhere. And these are things that I, you know, I, I'm positive that I know for a fact that we have people in our CFHA community that are doing integrated care in dental settings. And so I know that there are ways that it can work, but then there also are times that it fails. And so that got me thinking about all the different, many, many ways that we can experience large and small failures in integrated care and the ways that we can learn from that and share. Hopefully some of our listeners can learn from some of our lessons and also just to normalize failure happens. Um, this is part of the process and part of the learning process. So I'm going to open broadly. You guys shared a couple of great stories already, but what are some instances of what have you seen of how things can go wrong? Maybe change some names and locations to protect the innocent. <laughs> well, um, I'll, I'll give general in yes. general. Mm-hmm. So, um, theoretical, like theoretical. Not, yeah. 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 This may not or may not have happened. Yeah. <laughs> might be fictional. I want to to a friend. Should I say like disclaimer, someone once told me that someone once told them that someone once told them. Um, uh, I would say what I call not playing nice in the sandbox. Um, You know, so I'll oftentimes say like, okay, you don't want to play with the person, but you do have to parallel play. Like, can you parallel play in the sandbox together? (laughs) Like you are in the sandbox together. You know, I've seen Someone tells someone who told someone who told me that um, competing interests when there are multiple departments involved, like sometimes working for a big entity is great because you don't have to worry about resources or money, like some of those things. But when you have a big entity, that often means that multiple departments are involved in decision making and that gets really dicey. It sometimes means that it's slower for change to happen, um, slower to put processes and things like that um, in place. And really 
needing to know how I was getting ready to say needing to know how to finesse people. And that sounds real bad, but I'm gonna tell y'all that's what I was thinking in my head, knowing how to uh, needing to know how to finesse people. And what I'll say about finessing people is needing to know what's the internal motivator for those individuals so that you can figure out how to connect with your needing and wanting to do with what their motivating factor is that they want to do. Like, how can you connect that to get some traction going? But a lot of times we don't do that. Um, and then the story that someone was telling someone, someone was telling someone, um, they came in with their agenda and expected everyone else to be on board with their agenda. And when the person who holds the money strings were like, no, we're not doing that. Like, no, those clinicians need to be seeing 15 patients a day. And like, that's just that. And they're going to do the referrals too and figure it out. And it then starts to become um, where we're throwing sand at each other versus trying to figure out how we're going to build this castle together um, in the sandbox. So not being able to play nice in the sandbox, I've seen um, be a really big drawback um, to being successful in integrated care. Yeah, And connected to that, um, I've definitely seen that. And I'm, it, it's astute of you, Monica, to point out the nuances of a large system versus a small system, because those things really do create very different environments as far as how fast you can grow programs. The irony is you can definitely grow a program a lot faster in a smaller system than a larger system because of that issue. There's just so many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, and so many people that get on board. So that finessing that you're talking about, um, that sort of political astuteness um, just takes more time because you have more people to corral um, so connected to that, I think one of the things I've found is just uh, poor vision, right? So, and with poor vision comes a poor understanding of the models of integrated care, the work that's already been laid out as far as what integrated care is. And then you've got just people making stuff up, right? I mean, that, that's essentially what it is. You know, it's interesting. I was talking yesterday with um, my coworker here, uh, Marta Saucedo, who works with me on TA projects. And we were talking about this, you know, for a particular site that doesn't have a really good uh, sense of what integrated care is. And this, they're on like version three of integrated care in the last, like probably four or five years. And I said, I said to her, well, I mean, I think my strategy in this, these kind of situations is I lay out for people in a non-judgmental fashion, but I lay out for people all right, so here's what the consensus is across the nation around what integrated care looks like. And so if you are targeting uh, depression care and uh, improved quality with that depression care, your best bet is going to be COCM. That's the consensus. If you're looking at providing generalist support across all behavioral health conditions for your care teams, it's PCBH. So that, that's the consensus. You're free to do whatever you would like to do, but you have to understand that at that point, you are doing what you want to do. You're not aligning with D. the consensus. Option right? D, do yeah. what you want to do. Yes. And, and, and so if you're going to do that, all I ask you to do in so many words, this is what I do over probably several meetings. All I want you to do is to choose that. Like you're going to choose that that's what we're going to do. We're going to have co-located specialty therapy where you're going to choose it. As long as you mindfully choose it, I'm okay with that. I thought you were going to say, all I ask you to do is don't tell people I was the one that helped you set this up. (laughs) 
Uh, I'm not going to lie. That's a that's a real concern with consulting work. I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, you know, it it is. But Neftali's right, because they'll say like, oh, yeah, I'm a fully integrated. And you're in there and you're like, oh, so you're doing integrated care. But no, you're not a fully integrated. Like, can we have some conversation about that? And if that's what if what you're doing is what you want to do, then stand in that. But don't call it this because it's not this. It's something over here and stand in that and be okay with it. I think one thing that's coming through and what you guys are saying is not acknowledging our limitations and not being realistic about the circumstances that we're operating in is one of the pieces where this can fall apart. Um, so if you like are operating in a system that there is tight control over that medical record and there is a lot of rules about who can put what where and who can touch which piece that's a limitation and there are ways to figure that out. There's ways to still do integration, but you need to acknowledge that limitation and acknowledge the fact that no, if, if you're having really tight control of your medical record and you're not documenting in there, you're not a fully integrated system. So then what do we do with that? How do we move forward with the reality? And I think part of that is idealism. Part of that is, you know, we, we want things to be different or or we get really frustrated by the limitations that we have. And we're like, you know, like you said, Monica, they're not playing well and finger pointing and it's their fault, but we have to make those covert limitations more overt so that we can be realistic about them and work around them. And when we don't, when there's underlying things happening that nobody's talking about, that's one of the reasons why this can fall apart. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, there's a lot of parallel process with uh, working with patients, honestly. So like if I have a patient who's stuck in a dysfunctional behavior pattern of some sort, right? You know, it could be like uh, eating disorder or cutting or, or whatever it is, you know, um, just my first step with them is always to increase their mindfulness and awareness of that non-judgmentally, like legitimately, like, you know, I know we're laughing about, you know, like, you know, making stuff up and all that, but like, I don't make people feel bad when they're making choices. I just want people to know they're making choices, right? So if you're choosing to have a co-located therapist in your clinic who has her own caseload and who, you know, sees a small number of of patients uh, of the clinic's panel, um, yeah, that's not integrated care at a very high level. But if, if you're choosing that and you're saying, yes, that's what we're choosing, and we're going to live with the lack of population impact. We're going to live with the lack of support real time for patients and for providers. Then, then good. Then, then, then you're choosing it and you know what you're going to get out of that. You know what your goals are and you're not going to be like, um, and, and you know what to tell your providers if they get frustrated and say, hey, look, this is just a model of care that we have here. This is the reality of it. She's booked, whatever it is, you know. And that, that at least prepares you for a point in time in the future, just like as, as a patient with a, with a behavior where you might mindfully at some point be aware, like, hey, this is not working for me. I w- I'm ready to make a change here. And then you're ready to kind of take that next step. I mean, I think that what I found is that uh, most places are getting a lot of pressure from maybe the national or state organizations, and it's being touted. Uh, you know, contextually, you put yourself in their shoes, you know, you're CEO, you're running an organization, maybe it's on the smaller side, and everyone keeps touting integrated care, integrated care, integrated care. And then the way it's presented is it 
seems almost kind of like, yeah, you just take a licensed mental health professional and you add them to the team. And so who wouldn't want that, right? So it kind of feels, sounds like enticing and sure, we want to be able to take care of our, our, our patients. And so I think a lot of it comes down to um, just underestimating that this is going to be a thing. This is going to be, well, well, back to what Neftali is saying, it can, it can get very complicated because if you want it to be healthcare transformation, that's going to be one thing. And it's going to be, it's way, way more complex than what anybody is thinking. And then you need to have a really clear vision if that's what you want. But if you're just like, you heard about this thing and you're like, well, hey, that sounds cool. And you hire a mental health professional, which I'm not judging because, you know, if you, uh, if, if you don't have any background on this, you're just thinking, yeah, that sounds cool. It's probably going to fail. Uh, and then everyone's going to have a really bad taste in their mouth about what it was. Or back to, you know, like I said, uh, full circle to what Neftali is saying is having informed consent. And that's part of things that we can do as a consultant is walk them through exactly how Neftali said and say, here are the options and here's what we're dealing with. But the biggest thing I run into uh, in this in this professional space when it comes to integration, getting emails, people reaching out, is just a huge underestimation about what's going to happen. I mean, I have folks uh, message and I think it's great to reach out. That's awesome. But they're like, oh, yeah, so we, we started doing this and I've been in the clinic for a few months now. So, you know, can I get some advice on X, Y and Z? And that's it. Like, that's the only th there was no training. There was no curriculum. There was no attending CFHA's ELOs. Uh, and it's no one's fault because uh, nobody knew about it. They just were presented with this cool opportunity to go make a difference in somebody's life. So I'm like, Neftali, you know, this isn't from a judgmental place. And uh, back to what Monica was saying earlier. I've, you know, looking back on my career, I'm like, man, I've made so many mistakes. And most of the time it was because I just didn't know. So no judgment here. Please keep emailing me, emailing me, but do know that if it's like you had zero training or anything and you were just working in the community and all of a sudden you got hired by a primary care agency and now they want you to do healthcare transformation, uh, it's probably going to take a lot bigger undertaking to have the outcome that you want to have. And, and that, that also gets to one of the other typical failure points. And, um, you know, it's, it's really just workforce. It's like the talent that you have, right? So we have a key issue right now with the lack of available good talent for um, mental health at large, right? So there's, there's definitely shortages at large that we are, all are feeling in our communities, but also specifically in integrated care. Folks who are uh, primed, trained, and um, sort of constitutionally set up for working in primary care. Um, it's really hard to hire uh, folks these days. And then so a lot of times folks will hire in individuals who are not really primary care ready or really have an aptitude for primary care. So honestly, the first thing that I do when I'm working with a program or if I build my own program is to you know, make sure that we're hiring the right kind of individuals with the right kind of temperament for this kind of work. People who are passionate about primary care, people who love primary care, um, and people are willing to learn what it means to work within the models of care that we have outlined. That focus right there, though, Neftali, is I think you know what I've seen um, where people have missed a mark. So it's been like, let's hire the clinician who has been in the field for 20 years. 
30 years, like look at all this experience they have, like that's who they're looking for. No shade to those individuals. Like, hey, like hashtag do you, I'm all for it. I love it. But I find that then those individuals, it's harder to do the shift because they weren't trained in what it looks like to practice an integrated care. And it's a harder shift for them, but they're looking for that, like the most trained. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what about the person that is just the better fit? Like Mm -hmm. discipline to the side, all of that, like who is just a better fit that's teachable and trainable that's going to fit in with your clinicians, your front office, like no one typically thinks about that. They're looking at the resume and they're looking for the individual that has all this experience and then they can't figure out why clinicians leave quickly when they start telling them they have to change the way they've been doing documentation and they have to change the way that they've been, you know, seeing a patient in a session. And then these people aren't happy because they thought they were coming to primary care to have in this situation I'm speaking of, it's a fully integrated system, but they thought they were coming to primary care to almost be like, oh, an independent private practitioner just with automatic patients sent to me from medical providers. You're, I mean, Monica, you're right on. You're, you're, you're dead on arrival. Uh, uh, if well, I don't want to be dead. Can no, I be no, alive no, no, no. on arrival? <laughs> the organization is dead on arrival. Yes. When the BHC doesn't believe in the work that they do for myriad reasons. You know, they don't believe as we had talked about, I think it was last podcast or whenever that this work that you can actually make a meaningful change and in, in, in that, that change can happen in moments and it's not necessarily time-based and all these other things that we all were maybe steeped in. Um, if you can't get your mind out of that, you're, you're dead on arrival because uh, you're BHC. And uh, there was an ELO, I believe, um, was an e- yeah, it was ELO in 2020 for CFHA uh, and PCBH. And they had uh, some pretty big PCBH giants talking about the best way to go about setting up a system. And if I'm remembering correctly, half of them were like, you have to have everything in place in the vision and the structure, you know, at the outset. The other half were like, you need to get in there and just join the system, roll up your sleeves and change it from the inside out. And I was listening to that. I'm like, man, I agree with both. Uh, but if you're missing that second part, that the person who's actually going to be doing it is incapable or in many cases, not interested or can't get interested because of, again, the other millions of reasons, you're dead on arrival. You could have the most beautiful setup that's ever happened. You're going to do this phase one, phase two, phase three. If your BHC ain't seeing people, uh, it's going to fail. I'm going to get real systemic on us here that we're talking about first order and second order change. Uh, Pull out your systems theory textbook Um, because when both of those pathways are really important because while on the one hand, when a system is in formation, if you can embed all of that in from the beginning, then you're going to be ahead. But the, so then do we just say like, sorry, established healthcare systems, you'll never be able to do integrated care. No, but what those systems, established systems are going to need is not a first order change. First order means like we keep rolling along the way that we do, but with a minor substitution. And that is not the deep lasting change that we want to see in our organizations. You were using the terminology of healthcare tr- transformation and transformation is a second order change 
And again, like the definition of second order change is not just lasting or meaningful, but that it requires a reorganization of the system. That's painful and that's expensive and that takes a lot of people on board. And so when we're talking about this level of change, it's really critically important, but it's very different than I think a lot of times I hear about these, um, that pathway where some, some decision maker in this case that I'm talking about, I think it has to be someone fairly high up who has the clout to be able to do this catches wind of another system doing integrated care, or maybe like you have a new executive that comes in that they had a system that did integration in the past, but they weren't like involved in the nitty gritty. And so their directive is we're going to do this. And they like look around and pick the person who makes the most sense to them to put it in charge. But if that person doesn't have training and experience and background that's integration specific, just like you're talking about, they can have 30 years of experience in the field. But the problem with that is that their patterns and routines or habits are going to be more ingrained. And the second order change is going to be that much more difficult for them. And so we're we're talking about a deep reorganization um, that's not simple. And what's comforting to me in that and in all of this conversation is that the failure that comes from that is not a personal failure. It's not a problem on the part of any one clinician or any one team. And it's also not necessarily the end. Um, what you said earlier, Bridget, about this sort of like the, the danger of this is that a system can then get a bad taste in their mouth because then they're like, oh, we tried integration. It didn't work. Um, and that is a danger if you give up. But if we do look at these failures as data points, as a part that we haven't succeeded in this particular aspect yet, that changes our whole mindset and energy around what we're trying to accomplish with integration in our systems. Well, that's about how you look at failure though, right? Mm -hmm. Like most individuals, when you think of failure, you think of like, that's the end and that's it versus most things that are successful. There's been multiple failures beforehand or something else that you failed at that led you to think differently about now this thing that you tried and succeeded the first time on, there's still some failure somewhere in there. So to me, it's about how individuals look at failure. Do you look at failure as like, okay, that's the end, washed up, dried, done. Uh, Y'all miss Bridget rocking over in the corner like, oh Lord, what are we gonna do, right? So is failure the end or is it like, okay, data point, lesson learned, Let's regroup. How are we going to try something different? What did we learn from that to do it differently to try, you know, so it depends on how you look at failure. In the words of the great LeBron James, don't be oh, afraid. Oh, Lord. Take don't, a drink, people. Yeah. Take a drink. Don't uh, be afraid yeah. of failure. <laughs> LeBron James mentioned. Yeah. What did LeBron say? Don't be afraid of failure. This is the way to succeed. Because he flops. Right. So, oh, oh my gosh. As LeBron said, don't be afraid of failure. It's a way to succeed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. What we're talking about, taking this mindset of failure and being able to bounce back takes a resilience in us as individuals and in us as organizations as well. And like 
I think so many people that are pushing for integrated care and excited about integrated care are emotionally invested and we're personally invested. And that's the problem too. Those failures can sting um, and it can feel personal. And so having your people who can say, Hey, yeah, me too. And I'm really hoping we are being that today, um, you know, for our listeners that we're raising our hands and saying, Hey, this isn't always smooth sailing and we have failed. And um, I hope that's an encouragement because I, it, it takes Bridget put grit in the chat. It takes grit and it takes, um, you know, an emotional fortitude. Sometimes you do just got to like, go take a break and lick your wounds and come back another day or like get to your group chat of your friends and colleagues and peers and be like, can you believe this thing that happened? So they can tell you, it's not you. You're wonderful. Keep going. Maybe that's just me, but that's like a regular occurrence. No, that's not just you. Like that's the other thing. As I've been looking at the uh, confirmation for um, the judge and I've thought about a lot of the scrutiny that's that's coming up. And quite frankly, like sometimes I haven't wanted to watch it because I'm like, really, seriously, that's character assassinations and stuff. But what I watched yesterday and someone else being able to say to someone like, you are enough, like you are trying, like you didn't get to this point, like just fly by night, like look at what you've done to get to this point. You are trying, you are not, like that is needed. And I, I think it's incumbent upon us as leaders and consultants presenters, podcasters, to to talk openly about this. For anybody who's ever come to a presentation that maybe Dave or I have, have given, we talk openly and freely constantly about how hard this is and failures so that when, not if, but when these things happen, it isn't that like, oh, well, I did something wrong and now we have to quit this. And I, I feel like I'm, 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 we said we might get controversial. I'm going to call that out a little bit. I've been to hell a lot of presentations on integrated care over the last 10 years where it was like, okay, well you just do this and then you do this and you do this. And now on, you know, 10 years later on the other end, it's like, if you're having like a three point system, you do this and then you do this and then you do this and then we're good. Uh, you've never done it. Or if you have, you're completely unaware of the struggles that exist. Uh, so sorry, y'all. Uh, which is not the same as our advice to like, keep it as simple as possible because right. overcomplicating things are a challenge, but we also can't act like, oh yeah, well, you know, it was easy. You just do this. No problem. Because that's not reality. And I, you said it's incumbent on us. And I think it's important that we look around and reach out um, and look around for are people either locally around us or peers that we have or professional connections that we make, we need to do this in community. Um, Especially if you are a voice advocating for change in a system that's reluctant, you need your community. You need your cheerleaders. You need your supporters who can remind you and ground you in the importance of the work that you're doing. Yeah. I can't highlight that anymore. In fact, uh, you're, you're hitting on exactly what we're trying to aim for with our conference this year. Um, we're going to be highlighting like regional networks and uh, groups that have banded together across organizations to help each other. Um, because, you know, we do, we hear lots of stories of folks in really rough systems um, in that grit that Bridget's talking about. Absolutely. These people shout out to all of you out there listening that are in systems that beat you down. Because that, that's the reality. And, and I want to validate that for people. There's just so many 
uh, behavioral health directors and, and folks in other sorts of leadership positions, or even just cl uh, clinicians who, who are not well supported by their systems because their systems haven't gotten to that uh, level of change. They, don't, they haven't grasped the vision. They don't understand how to support these professionals. And in some cases, one of the other areas that I think causes failure is design jobs that don't make sense and designed expectations around those jobs that don't make sense. So like, you know, I struggle with uh, systems that say, well, okay, we designed a pro forma for this position. And it's like a bazillion patients. It assumes that the clinician is seeing patients five days a week, you know, eight hour days, no admin time, no time for documentation, um, no real time for professional development. Um, and then the clip of a volume is, is, you know, like ridiculous. Right. And then it's like, you, you're, you're literally setting this job up for failure, setting this person up for failure. You know, the, here's the encouraging thing. There's a lot of people who have figured out through sheer grit and resilience and sort of showing the system, Hey, this is the value of integrated care. Hey, these are the pieces that you want to do. And they have to suffer through a couple of years sometimes of kind of gritting it out, working, being politically astute, talking to folks, working through the constraints of the job that they were given to do. And they are able to make those incremental changes to the point where they begin to open up the vision and the, the, the sort of the, the perspective, right, of the folks in the system to realize, oh, integrated care is more about than just co-locating a behavioral health professional. It's about transforming our care teams. Oh, holy smokes. And then, and then you, you get to this place where, you know, we talked about like hiring the right behavioral health professional, but like the places that are advanced are, are not just asking that. They're asking, we need to hire medical providers that are good teammates who understand how to work with complex patients in a team and work with their BHCs and other teammates effectively. So in the interview process, they're screening out people who are not going to fit their team-based model. And they're including behavioral health in those interviews and all that. Same thing with consulting psychiatry and with uh, their MAs and, and, and other folks. So that level of transformation, there's folks working at it. And if you're listening right now and you're feeling discouraged, or you're feeling like you, you, know, you, you just haven't been able to uh, make headway, just know that... Um, and again, there's some situations you've got to leave. So I'm not, I'm not telling you to stay, stay there and just take it. But just know that if you feel passionate about it, you feel committed to it, and you feel like you can make a change and you just need to grit it out and work it out over a few years, if you connect yourself to a larger community to get that resilience and get that strength and support, you can do it. And I think that's that when we're talking about transformation, it's not just about the BHC. Right. And so that's what when I hear Neftali talk, I'm like, yes, that's it. It's not like integrated care is just about the BHC and that's it. That's systems that haven't quite gotten or understood yet the type of grit and tenacity it's going to take to do real transformation. It'll have the people rocking in the corner like we were just <laughs> talking about earlier. That's that's the difference. The individuals who are really ready to, to, to take that on and really do that um, versus the individuals who aren't there yet. And it's OK. If you're not there yet, to me, I'm more about if you're not ready for that, then just say you're not ready for that. 
And that's fine. We're going to work with you where you are to have you be the best this that you are, if that's what you want to be. But let's understand what real true transformation takes. Like I almost feel like we need to play Beyonce's come on clinics. Let's get to transformation. <laughs> like it takes a lot of tenacity, grit and work. And it's not going to happen in six months or in a year. I need everything to look like this. Like it's, it's not, it's not that quick. Right. Yeah, behavioral, behavioral integration. I always explain it. Behavioral integration is just a gateway drug to really great primary care. <laughs> that's all that, that's all it is. Like Once you taste that. it, you're like, Hey, Hey, our teams need to step up their game. And, and one of, I just want to add on to that, you know, real quick is that, and, and this might not be popular and right or wrong. The thing that I found is that BHCs, y'all do have to bring an element of success to give that taste before you start asking for stuff. And I'm not saying that's right. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's what I've seen. That's what I've experienced time and time, year and year, that that's when we started making changes is when the physician started saying, I can't not have a BHC here. The physician said, I won't, I won't see somebody in the evening clinic for depression or anxiety unless I have a BHC. And then they start advocating and that starts with doing good work. So, you know, it's, I agree with everybody here. It's all of this. Uh, and I would also recommend to have some success and get some buy-in before you start asking for things. Like I'm involved in every single interview or my, somebody on my team, providers, clinic managers, C-suite. And if we find out that we weren't involved in some type of interview process, <laughs> I make it a whole thing. But that was, you know, that's after eight years now. That wasn't my first year. That wasn't my second year. That wasn't our third year, fourth year. It wasn't really probably until four, year four or five. Then now it's like, and we also did really good jobs on the interviews, making very specific behavioral based. So I guess what I'm saying is like, you can't just count on your system to go and to quote unquote, do the right thing. Um, or at least I, I don't, I haven't seen that to be the case. Yeah, no, I, I think what you're talking about is exactly right. You gotta, you gotta hustle, right? You, you gotta have some hustle in you. Well, that's that temperament that you were talking yeah. about earlier, Neptali, right? Like it's a certain, it's a certain type of person that is successful in, in integrated care, working in an integrated care setting. I'm going to have to wrap us up. This has been such a great conversation. Uh, you know, I think there's so much encouragement embedded in here that failure is a part of the process change is a long process and deep, meaningful, lasting change requires some reorganization, but it is possible. I think all of us here, and I see nods around the table. I wish you could see us, but all of us agree that we wouldn't do this work if we didn't think that it was worth it and that change was possible. Um, and so we just want to definitely encourage our listeners to keep your heads up, keep working, stay connected and look at your failure as just a part of the growth. We appreciate everyone for being here with us today. Appreciate all of you guys, my co-hosts and all of our listeners. And although he wasn't here with us on our call, Deepu did record an ending meditation for us. And so we're going to close there. To end our reflections on failure, here is a poem called Defeat by Khalil Gibran. Defeat my defeat, my solitude and my aloofness. You are dearer to me than a thousand triumphs and sweeter to my heart than all world glory. Defeat my defeat, my self-knowledge and my defiance. Through you I know that I am yet young and swift of foot, and not to be trapped by withering laurels, and in you I have found aloneness and the joy of being shunned and scorned. Defeat my defeat, my shining sword and shield, 
in your eyes I have read that to be enthroned is to be enslaved and to be understood is to be leveled down and to be grasped is but to reach one's fullness and like a ripe fruit to fall and be consumed. Defeat, my defeat, my bold companion, you shall hear my songs and my cries and my silences, and none but you shall speak to me of the beating of wings and the urging of seas and of mountains that burn in the night, and you alone shall climb my steep and rocky soul. Defeat, my defeat, my deathless courage, you and I shall laugh together with the storm, and together we shall dig graves for all that die in us. And we shall stand in the sun with the will, and we shall be dangerous. Thank you. Thank you, Deepu. Thank you, everyone. We'll talk to you again next month. Mm-hmm.